Just call her shout him It's Dana and Jay All right, today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground is presented by Visa Network Working for Everyone. Paul Dana Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you. What's up, Jay? Doing well. It, it's starting to feel like December. Yeah. I don't know if that if that means I'm doing well or not, but I, I do like the season changes. I like it until Christmas and New Year's and then January and February are quite yeah. depressing. But I'm but I'm okay. We're still you know, we're in the happiness of the Christmas season. Hung up the greens and the and the wreaths and the trees are up and everybody's still all happy and it even snowed and people like the first <laughs> snow, right? So things are things are things are looking up. Things are good. And it's a big week here. It's a big it's a big week here for football. It's a big week. We're we're in the center of the footballing universe, Jay. Yeah. I mean, th- we talked about it on Tuesday's pod. This is the most impactful game on the playoff race on the entire NFL slate this week. And the Cincinnati Bearcats are going to play Alabama on New Year's Eve. Yes. Is uh there's 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 quite a lot quite a lot happening. We've got a lot to get to. Um I, I before we get started, I want to let you guys know this. we're going to do we're doing something new. You know, we're hitting we're hitting this playoff push. We're trying to give you guys we want to give you guys more, and so I want to let you know it's something we're going to be doing on Monday. I'm very excited about this. Um, it's a, a feature that we that our awesome developers have created on our app called a live room, uh, and we're going to do one at noon on Monday. Now. How it works, if you're a subscriber, you come in. If you've ever done a Q&A on our site or anything like that, you just go in. You'll see it there right on the top of the app. Click to enter, and it's a conversation. Jay and I will be talking about whatever happened in the game on Sunday. And if you want to ask a question, you can ask to come up on the stage, and you will be cleared to talk and ask us a question, and we'll answer. And we're going to do this uh, for, I don't know, about 20, 30 minutes, see how it goes. If you're if you're a subscriber, thank you for subscribing. One thing we can try to offer to you for this and, and talk through the game, and then after when we're done, we'll wrap it, archive it, and post it up for people to listen to later as a little extra episode for you. But a chance for if you have questions after after Sunday's game against the Niners, um, and, and or you just something you need to talk through, maybe maybe it's just couch time, right? It's just therapy time. It's, it's time to let it all out. Try try to keep it clean, maybe, preferably, Ver- hopefully. I don't know. Can, can, can we trust? Can we trust our subscribers to keep it clean, Jay? Well, that probably depends on if the Bengals win or lose. That's but um, I, I mean, they did such a great job on the all run pass through boot. Oh yeah, edition. I, I really am looking forward to that. I think there's going to be some great questions, and um, you know, I know a lot of times people will ask questions on Twitter, and we especially during the game, and you're just so focused on the game and, and then the, the mentions roll through and you end up missing a lot of questions that way. So if, if we don't get to your question on Twitter, this is the perfect chance to come in on Monday and ask it in person, a uh, much better chance of getting it answered at that point. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, the athletic.com slash hear that podcast growling, uh, 33% off, uh, deal to be a subscriber. If you want to, uh, you can subscribe there if, and then you can come in and be part of the live room and, or 
uh, you can just listen afterwards. Uh, as as we'll, we'll have that up as an extra episode. Everything else will be the same. We'll still have our Tuesday and our Thursday and our walkout and all that stuff, but a little extra for you. Noon, Monday, on the app, live room. Hope to see you guys there. All right, lots to get to. We're going to talk about the uh, massive list of injuries, uh, updates on that as we saw the first practice and a little more discussion on what everything's looking like, including uh, a second ailment showing up on Joe Burrow. Uh, we're going to, Jay's going to, of course, have stats. We're going to bring in our friend Matt Barrows uh, covering the 49ers out in San Francisco with insight into them. A very interesting team with a whole lot on the line on Sunday. We'll talk a little about this game and a little bit of kind of the, the fallout of what's happening in San Francisco and how it's going to be a direct reflection on these Bengals and particularly in the passing game. Uh, we've got a Bengals growler, but I think you're going to like a run pass or boot. Uh, we'll have our predictions and I've got a little special treat for you. Um, I have a story up on the site now that you can go check out on DJ Reader. And I, I, I've talked to DJ over the last couple of weeks and been working on the story for a while now. And uh, it, it it's it's funny. It's one of those that that I, I sort of wanted to do because he was ha- he was having a great season, but it was sort of an anonymous one, as it often is with a nose tackle like that. And as I kind of got to know a little bit more of DJ's story and dove a little more and talked to him longer, um, it just it deserved more. And I I've just been really excited to write this. But I also so you can go read the story. But I also I wanted to bring you part of the conversation because I just I just thought it was such a great conversation uh, that we had. It's not all of it. It's just a smaller portion of it. It's about 15 minutes of what was a much longer conversation that DJ and I had. So you can get more, of course, in the story. But I, I wanted to bring it to you. So at the end of the episode, uh, we're gonna have um, a conversation with DJ Reader um, about really who he is, where he came from, and, and how he got to the spot that he's at right now. I, I hope you'll like it. Um, so all that is coming your way on today's episode. Um, let's dive into the news, Jay. Jay, the injury reports used to be uneventful. Hmm. And now they're now they're the center point of the day uh, when they show up. I guess I guess maybe we just we start by just just running down them. Do you, do you have it in front of you, or do you want me to pull it out? I do. I do have it in front of me. All and, right, and, I'll, and, I'll give you the honors, <laughs> and I'll need to take a breath. So uh, I wanted to go back. Just to, I, I, I'm looking forward to listen because I have not heard your interview with DJ Reader yet. And when they signed him, I reached out to his agent, and he hooked me up with a one on one with him. Never met him before. He didn't know what the Cincinnati landscape was like. He was awesome. Now that he's been here for a couple of years, I can only imagine how great. This interview is going to be that you had with him, so I'm really looking forward to that. And I did, I, I I was at practice yesterday. I noticed DJ wasn't practicing, and I knew you had this story coming. I was like, oh, oh no! But uh, yes, DJ Reader on the on the injury list, but thankfully it was non-injury related, just a rest day, a veteran day for for a, a guy. So that one was not a big deal. Um, ha, you want to go in order of importance here? You want to go I would say that was a big deal for uh, my heart palpitations. By oh, the way, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 but uh, go ahead and go in order. Let's go from the top. Okay. Uh, Chidobe Awuzie, foot, did not practice. Looking kind of iffy if he's going to play this week. Yeah, I, I, think with, I think with Cheeto, what you're going to see is – because of who he is and because of the landscape of that position where you're also like, is Trey Wayne's going to come back? Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I think they're more than willing to go a week, which is a rarity of a guy who just doesn't practice but shows up and plays. If, if he feels like he can get out there and get on it on Sunday, just needs a full week of rest, 
willing to do that with no practice with Cheeto, considering how he's played and the fact that you're talking about Eli Apple and Vernon Hargraves potentially out there starting for you on Sunday. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk to Lou later today. It'll be interesting to get his take on, on how he thought Hargraves handled the assignments and how he played. Um, next on the list, the biggie, Joe Burrow. Right finger slash knee did not practice. We knew that one was coming. We knew that not practicing because of the finger. The knee was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, you know, he took hits and yeah. he took he took some shots. I, I you know, I don't I don't get the feeling that there's reason for concern about the knee, but if there's something, they have to list it. Um I I, I you know, they had Burrow out there for us. Uh and he, he talked yesterday and said I don't I don't foresee any issue that I'm not playing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm he basically said I'm gonna play. Just a matter of working through it. He's not th- he didn't throw Wednesday. He hasn't thrown since the game. Zach Taylor pointed out that's not necessarily, you know, of any different than normal week where he normally he wouldn't throw between the game and Wednesday. But the extra day Wednesday, um, we'll see how limited he is or uh if he throws it all on Thursday. Um, but it's a fine line, right? I mean, they're they're trying to work a balance of how much does he throw and how much do they kind of rest him. Yeah. I, I think really it feels like any other game for Joe Burrow because if they keep him clean, everything's going to be fine. And if they don't, there could be trouble because he said it. The only time it really bothers him is when he hits it on something. And if you've got a lot of bodies, a lot of pressure in that pocket, there, there's that chance that he hits it on a on a helmet, on an arm. If he's getting tackled, he's he's get, taking chance hitting it landing. He's not worried about taking snaps, um, not worried about handing off. It's it it's the other stuff. So it's a lot of this, like I said, just comes down to a regular game. You keep him clean, everything's fine. If you don't, there, there could be some issues. Um, next on the list, Chris Evans, running back out with an ankle. He's he's been out for a few weeks now. Um, he's dynamic player, obviously, but it's this isn't one of the bigger ones. They would like to get him back, but um, we'll just see. He was doing some rehab work. Um, I, I, I don't know that I would expect him to play this week. No. And you know, they, they kind of adjusted that. And I mean, it, that, that one's not as big of a deal. You know, you've got Joe Mixon, you got some AJP Ryan, you'd like to have Chris Evans, but, uh, you shake it off. The next two are the biggies and it's really uh, T Higgins. No, it did not practice ankle came out of the game Sunday, went back in, it was interesting on Monday and on Wednesday when Zach was running down injuries and a lot of them he offered up others. He didn't mention until he was asked and no one asked about T and he didn't bring him up. T Higgins was not mentioned at all on Monday or Wednesday. So that, that one was a little surprising because the other guys that were out with injuries were, were out there in some capacity and the media is only allowed to practice 30 minutes. The 30 minutes we were there, we did not see T. Higgins out there at all. So I, I think there's some mystery. Maybe we'll find out more on where what his status is today. Yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't seem super concerned about it on Sunday. But as I said on the walkout, I don't <laughs> listen to any players uh, who make diagnosis on themselves. Um, you'll made to be made to look like a fool if you do. Uh, so yeah, again, we'll we'll be tracking T. Higgins. You know, we saw the ankle sideline Trey Hopkins and Riley Reef last week. Uh, they looked the same way on the injury report as T did. So obviously a big one when you consider how well he's been playing and how important he is to offsetting 
uh, teams focusing on uh, on Jamar Chase. So yeah, that's that's obviously one to track. Yeah, the, the one after T uh, was Joe Mixon was out with an illness, and normally you would say not a big deal, but there's some there's always some concern when illness pops up given what COVID is. And Zach said it's not believed to be COVID. So that that leaves some open there. He did say last week two players missed practice with illness, and those were both confirmed flu. That was Mike Thomas, and now the other one's escaping me. Oh, Khalid Kareem. Kareem. Yes, those guys both missed, missed practice all week and missed the game due to illness, which Zach said was confirmed flu. Uh, Rennell Wren and Tyler Shelvin out yesterday, illness confirmed flu. He said Joe Mixon was not confirmed as flu, and he, they don't believe that it is COVID, but it, 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 you just don't know. And a lot of that, a lot of the timeline comes into whether he's vaccinated or not. Um, it's just that is going to be another one to monitor because obviously that would be a huge loss if, if, if Joe Mixon couldn't go on Sunday. Still too early to tell, but it, when, when you have that mystery illness in there, you just never know. Logan Wilson, we talked about on um, Tuesday. It's, uh, you know, again, we'll wait and see what happens if he goes on IR or not. But, you know, two to four weeks, he's not going to play this week with the shoulder. So he he also did not practice. There were some limiteds, too. Um, Including Logan Wilson's backups. <laughs> <laughs> if you're wondering what's happening at the linebacker position, uh, yeah, J- Joe Batchy and Marcus Bailey both limited. Uh, Batchy with a knee, Bailey with a neck. But Zach said, look, Joe Batchy, we're, we're preparing him to start. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the guy that's going to be in there next to Jermaine Pratt, and they're going to rely on him. Bailey is, I think, a thing where that would be nice if that actually came to fruition that he played, but I don't think anybody's counting on him being good enough to go on Sunday. Maybe he is. He's probably going to be some kind of game-time decision, but I don't think anybody is is saying, oh, let's, oh we really got to make sure Marcus Bailey is, is out there. I think they're counting on Batchy and Pratt to be your guys out there. Um trying to figure out how to stop the 49ers. Yeah, and then the other two limiteds were Trey Hopkins and Riley Reef, who both missed last week's game with their ankle injuries. I think that's a a really good sign that they were limited. I mean, we've seen Trey Hopkins take Wednesdays off uh in past weeks. The the, the fact that he was out there um makes you believe that both those guys have a really good chance of being ready to get back in there on Sunday. All signs point to Trey Hopkins having the better shot. Yeah. Um, than Riley Reef. Um, but and that's good news. Because we talked about I mean, the Trey Hill experience was not one that anybody <laughs> wants to go through again. Uh so having Trey Hopkins back out there um would be a big deal. Riley Reef would be a big deal as well. But as we mentioned, you know, Isaiah Prince at least held his own a little bit. Still, you want Reef back out there and uh you, this hopefully points to him being able to gut it out. We shall see. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. The thing about the linebackers, to kind of jump back into that real quick, it's just a terrible week to be down linebackers. I mean, this is what the San Francisco offense does is about they stress linebackers with all the motions, all the eye candy, all of the misdirection on runs, and everything that is all based um 
on just owning linebackers and 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 including the pass game. You know, they Jimmy G, you'll see you watch. Watch during the game. He he works the middle of the field. I think he only had two throws outside the numbers against Seattle, both late in the fourth quarter with them trailing. He works the middle of the field. He works play action. He works the misdirection off the run game, and he does it pretty well. What have we seen the Bengals struggle with, Jay? Linebackers covering yes. people over the middle, right? <laughs> so if you're, and now you're missing your best cover guy, you're missing your backup guys. You know, you're, I mean, you're down to Joe Batchy and a guy named Clay. Like, we're, you know, we're talking about you're deep into the roster in maybe the worst possible spot when going against San Francisco. Uh, as I love to quote Big Lebowski all the time, this is our concern, dude. I mean, Jermaine Pratt has been pretty good against the run, but he is he's a liability in coverage. So that is a a big concern when the other team has George Kittle. I think mm-hmm. we're going to see maybe some Jesse Bates on, on Kittle. I, they're going to do what they can to not let him get matched up on a linebacker. But you're right. It's just filling the gaps. The, the, the 49ers are number seven in the league in rushing offense. And I, I don't know that they've played a team that's been as stressed at linebacker as the Bengals are this week. I, that is going to be a big, big concern because that that's where, I mean, Kittle is good in his own right. And if they get Debo Samuel back, then, I mean, that's just, he's, you know, you'll hear that in my conversation with Matt Barrows. A lot of times when they put a, a when teams put a running back in the back or a wide receiver in the backfield, it's to get him out wide on a screen or they'll jet him out. They're running Debo Samuel between the tackles. Like he is a legitimate running back who's built like a tight end and he's slamming up in there. They, they can hurt you so many different ways with that run game. And it, as soon as you start selling out for the run, that's when they pop one to George Kittle and get a big gain there. So it's this is going to be a huge test for this Bengals defense this weekend. Healthy linebackers or not, but without them, it just makes it all the more difficult. Little Debo Samuel nugget for you from our uh, our colleague Tim Kawakami in San Francisco. Uh, 49ers are six and two when Debo Samuel has yeah. seventy eight or more total yards. They are 0-4 when Debo doesn't have 78 or more total yards, which includes games that he didn't play. He's a difference maker. He's been the difference maker. He's a massive target share. He's a massive yardage share for them. They Every time he's out there, they're trying to find a way to work him into a mismatch. Uh, and so you better believe that him being active or inactive will be one of the biggest announcements of the day on Sunday. Yeah, he missed last week and he did not practice yesterday. So we'll we'll see which way that trends. Kyle Shanahan said he he was hopeful that sh- that Samuel would be able to practice a little bit on Thursday, but again, uh, that's a big old we'll see as the week goes along on that one and how effective he is if mm-hmm. he is able to go right. I mean, if you're talking about people on a game time decision with ankles, how, how much is he going to look like the real Debo Samuel? Um, you know, that's. It's going to be a challenge. We Last week was such a different challenge for this defense. We talked so much about this stretch of learning about this defense, learning where they're at, learning if they can hang with the big boys. Well, here's another DVOA top five offense, just very differently comprised. I think this one plays more into the Bengals' strength. 
I mean, I despite the linebacker issues and despite everything I said, mm-hmm. I do think they are better fit to stop the run than to stop the pass because of the their front line. You know, they're, they're what they have up front, uh, and 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 really their corners. If they put the ones that are supposed to be playing, Mike Hilton, Chidobe Wuzier, and Trey Waynes, if he plays, are night are quality tackling corners. I mean, they they got those guys for a reason. They they made this defense to win against teams that like to run the ball in the AFC North. The 49ers rushing attack is different. It's more nuanced. It's more dynamic. But I do think they tried to build a defense around the idea of stopping a running game like the 49ers. Yeah, and there's there's history there. That, I mean, look what a great job they did against the Ravens back in Week 7 when you have a unique-type running attack. Lou Anarumo came up with a great game plan that day, involved using more linebackers than they normally do, so we'll, it's not, that's not going to be the case. But I don't <laughs> think that's the way you necessarily attack this this 49ers offense. It's, it is going to be one of the more interesting chess match parts of the chess match to watch is, is how Lou lines up that defense against this San Francisco running attack. Don't line up somebody light across from 85, though. No. George Kittle will plant you in the bench if you try to line some some guy up who he's got 50 pounds on. And that's that's the, that's the scary part. You're trying to cover him. Are you going to you're going to cover him with you know you you have to try to get somebody big enough and strong enough to hold up a little bit against him when he tries to just to eviscerate you as a as a blocker. But then also fast enough to stick up with him when he's tiptoeing down the sidelines like a gazelle and catching two touchdowns for a hundred and whatever yards. I mean, he's just a you know he's a he's a tough guy to handle, and so much of of what makes them go, especially when you pair him uh, with Debo. But you know you all, how you offset that, Jay? Turnovers, that? exactly. Turnovers, and Jimmy G will throw it to you. Occasionally, you can mm-hmm. you can get him to make mistakes, and they're banking on that. They've it's been the bugaboo for the 49ers this year. It is too much of that, and they obviously had issues as well when Trey. They were trying to work Trey Lance in when Jimmy G was injured. But you know you got to you got to try to turn him over, and that will be the difference, right? You know why, Jay? Because it's always the difference here. It is as it is it, across most of the league, but specifically here. You might have stats on that. I do. Um, before I get to the Bengals stats on turnovers, the, the 49ers are minus four. They're actually worse than the, the Bengals this year. Bengals minus two. And the 49ers have had multiple turnovers in six of their 12 games this year, and they're one and five in those games, which makes sense. I mean, that's the key stat all the time. But this is what I found interesting. The, the Bengals under Zach Taylor, when they have a positive turnover differential in a game, they're eight, three, and one. That's a winning percentage of 708. And you might say, well, that's what you expect if you have a winning, if you win the turnover battle. But I challenge anybody out there to find any other stat where the Bengals have a better winning percentage of 708 under Zach Taylor. I mean, they, they have, there are winning after the third quarter is a big one. You win most games when you're winning after the third quarter. Uh, the Bengals are 11, six and one under Zach. That's a 639. It's just, his record was so bad the first two years. You're not going to find another stat that has them with a, a 708, a 70 percent winning percentage, 71 percent winning percentage. It's just not going to happen. And, and the flip side of that, when the Bengals lose the turnover battle, they lose the game. They are one in twenty under Zach 
with a negative turnover differential in a game. And that one win was this year in Baltimore when they lost the turnover battle one to nothing on the, the interception Joe Burrow threw in the end zone that didn't really hurt him because they were already way up on the Ravens. It's just the way the league goes and especially the way this team is, they, they the margin of error is so thin. It's just something they cannot overcome. And they've, they've, we've seen it. Their, their last three losses, they've mounted the turnovers. And, and on the flip side of that, when they force the turnovers, you know, they forced multiple turnovers in each of the last three games. The last time they forced multiple turnovers in four straight games in the same season was 2010. Wow. They lost all four of those games, by the way, which tells you how bad that team was. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, that is, it's hard to do. And this is a 49ers team that will turn it over. That, that's going to be another key piece of this is if the Bengals can continue that trend. They all talk about how it can be contagious and it can start building on each other. Three straight games with multiple turnovers, if they can do it again Sunday, feels like they'll have a really, really good chance to win the game. Those are some uh, pretty serious stats there, Jay. I, I think you, I think you pretty much just painted the picture of this game. I mean, and I do think because I do think these are two teams that have a lot of upside and believe they're maybe better than their record even shows, mm-hmm. but have flaws and a lot and a lot of times their flaws have been they give it away too much. Um, and so, who's going to do that? You know, we've talked about Joe Burrow's interceptions. They talk about you mentioned fifty percent of the Forty Nine ers games are have multiple turnovers. Which way is that going to fly? And, and because I do think both offenses will score, and so you comes down to who has more possessions and can make that work for them. Uh, let's bring in Matt Barrows to talk a little bit more about the scene in San Francisco, how things look there, and what the Bengals need to face. So here's Jay's conversation with our colleague covering the 49ers, Matt Barrows. All right, we're going to head out to San Francisco now and talk to our 49ers writer, Matt Barrows. And really, this time we are going to San Francisco. Matt, the last time I talked to you, I think you were in Youngstown heading uh, up to a Bengals game. Is that not right? Yes, that's right. In fact, I remember you uh, calling me and I was walking through a big parking lot in Youngstown (laughs) or in Boardman, Ohio. Um, And uh, Boardman, Ohio seems to have a lot of those, uh, not, not the, not Ohio's most beautiful city, I wouldn't <laughs> think, but I, I distinctly remembered trying to get out of the wind and going behind a warehouse or something and, and talking to you before that game. And I was thinking about that the other day, this is a, a Bengals team that is entirely different than the one that the 49ers faced just two years ago. That was an easy win for them. Um, uh, a, a game in the summertime, this is going to be um, entirely different, I think, uh, this this trip to Cincinnati this week. Yeah, it was really interesting. Those were the it was a different 49ers team too, a little bit. I mean, that was the that's the start of their run to the Super Bowl. And they started that year. If people don't remember, the the opener was in Tampa and then rather fly back to San Francisco than come back to Cincinnati. They just spent the week in in they're in Youngstown to get ready for the Cincinnati game. And um I, I was looking, I I've found this odd since then the last three years um they have 16 road wins only the chiefs with 18 is more um and then also when they play back-to-back road games as they did in that week two game when they blew the doors off the Bengals 41 to 17 they're six and one is you know anything you could put your finger on that makes this team so good on the road I can't. I mean, they're not good on the road when they visit the Seattle Seahawks. That's for sure. That's what everybody is buzzing about here uh, this week. 
Um, you know, it, it's funny because they, they've got a very poor record in Levi Stadium, their home stadium. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the fans are not in love with, I guess we can still say it's new. It, it was built uh, for the 2014 season, but um, the, the record there has been poor. You know, I, I found that, you know, you're right when they go on those road trips, especially the, the two game trips on the East Coast, they, they usually do very well. It's the game back. Uh, that's very disjointed. I mean, that's when it seems to really catch up with them. And those, of course, are, are home games. So that, that starts to explain that. So what they do in the game after the Cincinnati game will be interesting to see whether that pattern holds up. I think they're playing the Falcons. Um, but uh, they, they got beaten by a bad Falcons team in that 2019 season um, after mm-hmm. another two-week road trip uh, from uh, they played in Baltimore and New Orleans then came back and lost to what ended up being a five win Falcons team. So, um, you know, that, that's been the problem area and uh, they're, they're usually good after losses too. Um, so this will be interesting for both teams. I mean, I feel like these teams are very even, uh, you know, they're not the same, their strengths are in different areas, but both coming off losses, both fighting for, the playoffs um it, it'll be uh it'll be a fun one in in Cincinnati yeah really a huge game for both teams um I, I know we normally start these conversations with with the quarterback but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna run an end around here I, I I just I am so fascinated by what the the 49ers have done with Debo Samuel and you know last three games 19 carries only six catches you know he was hurt last week um and as for the listeners we're recording this on Tuesday so still not quite sure what his practice schedule is going to look like this week but how did that come about how did they take this big effective wide receiver and and move him into the backfield was it was it out of necessity or did Kyle Shanahan kind of see uh, an opportunity to to create some mismatches there or just what was the genesis of that well, he's always been good with the ball in his hand. And, um, you know, he came in as a rookie in 2019 and Wes Welker, who's the receivers coach out here, you know, saw him, you know, they do all the, the, the pre-draft travel. So the conditioning isn't sensational for a lot of rookies uh, when they first come in. And, and Debo Samuel, they felt was, was overweight. He was too big. He's got a very big lower body. Mm. Um, he's built like a bowling ball. And so they tried to get him to be a lot lighter, a lot more uh, fluid and, you know, for, for injury purposes as well. They didn't want him carrying around all that weight. Well, uh, they, they've given up on that because he uses that weight like uh, a wrecking ball. He, he's like a, the bowling ball going down the alley and splitting the pins. He's, he's very hard to bring down. He runs like a running back. And so they, they figured that out during that rookie season in 2019. They weren't so much carries, but a lot of short passes, a lot of pitches, a lot of uh, end arounds, uh, th- those sorts of things. And he, and he excelled on those. And that, that sort of has led into him basically being a running back in uh, some of these last few games, lining up in the, in the backfield, um, sometimes by himself. Um, and, uh, and, and not running to the outside either. We're talking a gap, B gap type of runs, which usually a, uh, a wide receiver will, uh, be very loath to do. But, uh, like I said, he's got the body type to, to run through some of those blocks and he's the one that's delivering those blows. Now, having said all that, I mean, the, you asked about the Genesis, the, the, the main Genesis is that they're, they've been low on running backs all season long. They lost their, their top one 
Raheem Mostert very early in week one. Um, they, they, they drafted a guy, uh, Trey Sermon. Uh, your readers may uh, be familiar with him from Ohio State in, in round three, and he just, just did not work out uh, to this point. Now he's on IR. So they've really had to lean on their sixth rounder, uh, Elijah Mitchell, and he's been in and out of the lineup, um, one injury after another. When he, when he plays, he's really good. Um, but, uh, he's now on his fourth injury of the season, which is a concussion. So he's a question mark for this game. And if he's not there, I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell you how they're going to allocate the ball because, uh, there, there are really no obvious, um, moves that they can make. Um, in fact, they're, they're holding tailback, uh, tryouts, uh, as we speak. Uh, so whoever, uh, wins those tryouts is probably going to be in uniform on game day. I don't know how many carries he would get, but that's been a big issue for this team. Um, they want to be a running team. They need to be a running team. They just have run out of running backs at various times. And, and this looks like it's going to be another game where they're really struggling at that spot. All right, let's just take a quick break. They had won four in a row before they went to Seattle, and as you mentioned, it got, got beat up there. Um, you know how much of that has been on Jimmy Garoppolo's shoulders? They they start two and four, and then they they go on this this nice little stretch, and it seems like he kind of carried the team. Whereas in the past, they've relied more on the run. Yeah, I mean, he's at his best when he's got a, a robust running game. I mean, just about every quarterback is like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think we've had a game this year. There, there were some in 2019 where they said, okay, Jimmy, you, you need to win this game for us. Um, he hasn't quite done that. And his issue has been interceptions. Um, you know, heading into this season, there were only a, a handful fucking Jameis Winston and Baker, um, Mayfield in, um, in Cleveland were the only starting quarterbacks with a higher interception rate um, you know, interceptions versus pass attempts than, than Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and, and he did get on top of that this season, but the last couple of games, uh, it's, it's out here, it's known as bad Jimmy and good Jimmy. <laughs> uh, last couple of games, bad Jimmy has uh, reappeared and, and he's thrown three against three touchdowns in the last two games. So, um, that's been problematic and, uh, you know, not quite a good enough team to overcome a turnover deficit. Few teams are, but, um, you know, again, when, when that robust running game isn't there, uh, the, the, the 49ers have trouble. Yeah. Bengals fans for years lived with the concept of bad Andy and good Andy, and they were hoping that would go away with Joe Burrow, but he's had the same issue. I mean, he leads the league in interceptions. He's third in interception percentage. So yet another area where these teams are really kind of similar coming into this game. Um, I did want to ask you about one of Jimmy's possible targets just because of his connection here. Mohamed Sanu has been on IR for four or five weeks and any chance he's back this week for the Bengals game? He's eligible. Um, I would think that uh, given how long he's been out, he, he may need a, a little bit of a runway to, to, you know, get back into playing shape. We'll see. Uh, Wednesday will be um, obviously a, a big day for, for him and to see whether Debo Samuel uh, is on the practice field. Um, Shanahan hinted that he thought that Samuel would be limited that he it seems to be trending that um, Samuel is going to play in this game, which would be 
a big deal and which would sort of lessen, I think, the need to bring Mohamed Sanu back. But they love Mohamed Sanu. He's their their number three receiver when he's healthy. Um, he's just been slow to come back from this knee injury so far. The Bengals have been incredibly healthy all year. They finally, not finally, it's not like they were waiting for it, but the, the injuries kind of hit last week. Um, one of the big areas, they were without two starting offensive linemen, possibly could get those guys back this week. Maybe not, but I, I was curious. I was looking with Nick Bosa, and you know, it, it looked like for the first part of the season, he was primarily lining up on the right side of the defensive lineman, and then they just flipped it, and it's it's been mostly on the left side, which would put him across from Isaiah Prince, one of those backups that could be starting. Um, I was how do they go about moving him around? Is it was there something that happened to cause that flip, or do they they do it via the matchup for that week? Yeah, I, I think it's been matchup based. They they mm. want to put him on the uh, the weakest opponent, and um, you're right. I mean, it's it's been a uh, sort of a, a black and white flip um, at the, in the middle of the season. And, and it's worked out well. I mean, he's, he's been playing very, very well. I mean, that's, that's their strength is him coming off the edge. The issue is that they don't have a bookend um, that game back in 2019 um, you know, is uh, 49ers fans will remember that game because D Ford, I think uh, started that game and didn't finish it. And it led to basically a season of him kind of coming in and out of games. He dealt with knee injuries the rest of the year. Uh, basically, they they practiced that week on a field hockey field um, in Youngstown. And uh, that was bad news for D Ford's knees. And he dealt with that the rest of the season. And the, the turf game in Cincinnati didn't help that. So really, the 49ers haven't had a fully healthy D Ford since then. He's not in the lineup now. He's dealing with a back injury. And uh, they just don't have a good edge presence on the other side. So uh, Nick Bost has been a one-man band. He's been outstanding, a Pro Bowl-level season. But you need two to really um, dictate games. And and so uh, um, that's been a, a problem for the 49ers. You know, against a team like, like the Seahawks with a good uh, quarterback and good wide receivers – uh, the 49ers' three big weaknesses um, on defense are no edge opposite Bosa and, and bad cornerbacks, and that's a that's a bad combination. And uh, I feel like that's that's a key matchup in this game. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow versus um, you know it's probably going to be Josh Norman at at the very end of his career. Uh, Dante Johnson, who's you know, uh, you know a, a guy you want to keep on your roster mainly for Johnny on the spot um, reasons. He's good on special teams, but you know he, he's been a starter and, and hasn't really worked out at the quarterback uh, at the cornerback spot. So that's to me that's the most exploitable uh, spot matchup in this game for the Bengals. Yeah, and and maybe Joe Burrow's pinky mitigates that a little bit. I, I, I we don't know how he's going to be, but certainly, you know, if they can attack that weakness. They will. I I was impressed. What it looked like, San Francisco just really turned a corner in terms of run defense. Now, they gave up 146 last week, but half of that was on one run. Um, if if the Bengals 
have their way, I think they're going to try to unleash Joe Mixon and, and, you know, put less pressure on Joe Burrow throwing the ball. And Mixon's been so great lately. Um, is, is that the strength of this 49ers defense, what they're able to do against the run? Yeah, uh, it is. And, and a couple of guys of note there, DJ Jones, um, former six round pick and really has been a guy who's sort of faded away at the end of seasons, just his conditioning hasn't been all that good. And, um, stamina and, and, and durability have been issues in his career. He, he's made that his mission uh, this this year uh, to basically be a, a really good player in December, uh, which he hadn't been to this point in his career. And um, he really showed up in that in that Seahawks game. He was good at the beginning of the game. He was good. He had a goal line stand at the end of it, and he was in the middle of all that. So he's been uh, that's been a big deal for him. And then the other part is that. Uh, they lost Javon Kinlaw. They lost DeForest Buckner, uh, mm. who was part of that 2019 team, traded him to the, the Colts. And then they used the, the first round pick that they got in that trade on Javon Kinlaw. Uh, and it was gonna, he was going to be their defensive tackle. He's out for the season with a knee injury, which has meant that Eric Armstead has been basically bumped inside to defensive tackle. And he's been really good in that spot, too. It's another reason they're they're not getting much edge presence um, opposite Bosa's because uh, Armstead often plays defensive end. He's basically a full time defensive tackle now. It means that the middle of their line has been pretty solid. So um, yeah, that'll be a, a really interesting one to watch. Um, I think Fred Warner probably will be back for this game. So uh, their middle ought to be pretty good. It's it's the edges where the Forty ers are weak. Yeah, this should be a really fun game. I, like you said, there's, there's so many similarities, and then you've got some strength on strength, some strength on weakness plays. There's there's a lot that's going to go into this game. Both teams really need it. Um, Matt, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I hope you have a, a safe flight in and look forward to catching up with you in the press box. Okay, thanks, Jay. Talk to you then. Always great to hear from our good friends on the other side, and uh, Matt and everybody in the Bay, man, does an incredible job. I mean, look, it's the hub. It's where yeah. it started, so you know you're going to have nothing but the, just a load of the best people there hanging out in San Francisco, uh, but they do they do an incredible job over there uh, covering the 49ers. So great to hear from him. Uh, let's talk about this game. Outside of the turnovers, give me a factor. Give me, give me your main factor uh, in this game. Um, I would say the explosive plays, if, if the Bengals can kind of get that back under control, not give up so many of them. It, we've seen a combination of reasons this year. They, it's been miscommunication. Uh, last week, it was a little of both, but more so just the Chargers making more plays, winning one-on-one -on -one battles. You just If you can force this 49ers defense to, to work its way down the field and not give them big chunks at a time, I, I think you, you really increase your chance of winning. Now, the question is, you know, if Chidobe Awuzie can't go and then you know, even if Trey Waynes goes, he's going to be rusty. Um, and you have new pieces in there at cornerback. You have a new person with the green dot with the communication in Jermaine Pratt instead of Logan Wilson. There, there, the opportunities are there for there to be breakdowns for this defense, and I, I think they have to avoid that. They cannot give up a bunch of chunk plays or even a handful or even a couple against this 49ers offense. They got to make them earn it and work their way down the field. I, I point to Joe Burrow's passing yards. 
and for this reason. It's it's where the 49ers can be exposed. We heard Matt Barrows talk about it. I mean, all the injuries, what they got going on in their secondary, it's kind of a mess there, a big mess. And But the question is, will the Bengals get enough time for Joe Burrow to drop back and take advantage of those mismatches to expose them? Because, you know, we've seen what it looks like when they do try to drop back and throw it. it you know, the pressure has come. How healthy is Trey Hopkins? It does Riley Reef play? If he doesn't, does Isaiah Prince hold up? Can Akeem Adenich? You know, all these guys. Can Jonah Williams avoid having happened what happened last week against the Chargers in a big spot? Will Jamar Chase catch the ball? Right? <laughs> I mean, we've got a lot of questions in a potentially very explosive, what would seem to be strength on weakness. It would seem to be where the Bengals can win this game. We've talked a lot about them winning games, lining up and running it. And I do think they need to do that in order to offset, you know, the Niners teeing off in the passing game. And, you know, dropping back and throwing it 50 times is not necessarily going to be the answer. But you do want to see a number of explosive plays in the passing game. You do want to see Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, if he he if he's healthy, and Jamar Chase dicing up these mismatches. Um but can Joe Burrow drop back and have enough time before Nick Bosa's up on his grill or Eric Armstead is, is, is blowing him up? You know, these are – this is a really, really good front, and we've seen these front fours give them so much trouble this year where teams can rush for, get home, drop coverage to help compensate for mismatches. You better believe that's what San Francisco is going to try to do. Can they do it successfully? To me, that's what's going to be it. Can, can Burrow and this passing offense prove to be strength on weakness? Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because the, the teams are so alike in many ways, but but that is one area where, it, like you said, a weakness hits a strength. Because you look at the other side, the, the Bengals' run defense is fourth best in the league. And the San Francisco run offense is seventh best. That's strength on strength. That's another key area, but that is strength on strength. You've got to take advantage of the strength on weakness area. And it it does. It comes down to the offensive line. Like I said earlier, you protect Joe Burrow, you're going to be fine. But we, we've seen that the, the teams that can do it, that, that they can fluster him, get home with the four because – you're kind of playing with fire when you blitz Joe Burrow. He's been so good against it. Last week was a bit of an anomaly because the the forty or the Chargers really did a good job of getting home on blitzes. But most of the time, he'll pick that apart. And if, if San Francisco can sit back and put seven in coverage and rush with four and get home, could be a long day for Joe and that entire offensive line. And, and how does you know does does the pinky hit up against a helmet? Does yeah. the achy knee take a shot and have him hobbling around? What whatever you know. It, it all, it all, as many times this year, it comes back to the can the protection hold up? Can they keep him relatively clean? Um, big, big, big questions there. And if they can, and T. Higgins is healthy, we could see him go off again. I mean, he's he's been incredible. He's been PFF's number one receiver the last two weeks. He's really taken over. He's on a run. A couple more games, and his run will be almost equal to Jamar Chase's seven-game run. It'll be a. Yeah. It was a. Ta- it'll be a tag team season, right? Jamar Chase goes in the seven, the first seven games, and then tags in T. Higgins, and he takes over the next seven <laughs> games. Um, old bushwhackers, right? Uh, but Jay, you got uh, you have some stats on T. Higgins, who's trying to go for three straight one hundred. Yeah, um, 
last week, career high nine catches, career high 138 yards. He's really coming into his own. So that injury, that ankle injury is big because they they need him in there. But if if well, first of all, trivia for you. Because he does have back-to-back 100-yard games. Do you know who the last Bengal receiver was to have back-to-back 100-yard games? The last Bengals receiver to have back-to-back? I mean, is there a chance it's not A.J. Green? Uh, It's not. Marvin Jones? Nope. Jerome Simpson? No. (laughs) More recent. (laughs) Just not a name you would expect. It's not a name I would expect. Was it Tyler Boyd? No. I mean, I can keep naming receivers. I can tell you it's John Ross. Oh, the first two games of the 2019 season. (laughs) Yes. How about that? I wrote a very nice glowing feature on John Ross, and then his career went right down the crapper after that. It was your fault. I I take full responsibility (laughs) for it. It was a lovely story. I'm happy I wrote it. On on (laughs) John Ross watch, 21 snaps last week, 32%. Uh, gets him to 26% for the year. So trending upwards for the Bengals to possibly get that big extra fourth. John Ross comp. snap watch continues yep. <laughs> getting closer, <laughs> getting closer. So, so back to the T Higgins things. If he can get to a hundred this week, or if he doesn't play this week, next week, if he can do it in three consecutive games played, he, he would be the, it would only be the seventh time in franchise history that's happened. And he would only be the sixth guy to do it. Chad did it twice in 2006 and 2002. TJ did it in 2007. Isaac Curtis did it at the end of 73 and then picked it up in 74. Carl Pickens did it in four straight games in 1994. And A.J. Green, as you would expect, has the record at five straight games in 2013. Um, The interesting thing here is T not only has 100 yards in each of the last two games, but he has 100 yards and a touchdown. The the only time, only twice in franchise history has a player had three straight hundred yard games with a touchdown, and that was TJ in two thousand seven and Isaac Curtis in seventy three slash seventy four. So he's a he's approaching very very rare company. And and being that dude that I think everybody thought he was going to be before mm-hmm. the season started, but. You know, again, it's it's going to come down to will he have enough time to uh, see which poison the 49ers have picked uh, or will the poison will they be eating the poison uh, in the backfield? I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's get into uh, let's get into growler bet and run passer boot and prediction here. So right. growler bet was was very uh, dramatic last week, shall we say? It was a uh, it was complicated. <laughs> there was a lot to handle for people, and a lot of people chose to sit it out. So, nah, I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the five pronged palindrome week off, Jay. Yeah, that's uh, fine. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. only three prongs this week. What do you got? Yeah, so it's one of those what happens first choices, and you need to pick time of game. What do you want to go, Paul? You want to go three seconds, four seconds? I mean, I'll, I'll since there's three prongs, I'm comfortable with a five second wow. either direction. Okay, a lot of these could happen early. Um, okay, so here's what you have to pick: which one of these will happen first, and the time of the snap that 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 at this event happens. The first one is Joe Mixon reaches a thousand yards rushing. He only needs twenty-two. The second one is Jamar Chase reaches a thousand yards receiving. He only needs forty-two. 
And the third one is Trey Hendrickson gets a sack in his ninth consecutive game. We, we've seen that this streak has been amazing. Last week, it took till the fourth quarter till he got that sack. Um, but you could easily see a situation where he gets that early in this game. So you pick which event will happen first and what time it will happen. I will I'll take Joe Mixon because it's the smallest number and uh, I'll take it at 322 in the first quarter. All right. Yeah, I'm I want to go Hendrickson, but he's he's gonna be lining up against Trent Williams most of the day. This could be the 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 day that the streak ends. Um I'm I'm gonna go with Mixon too, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go right off the bat. I think the Bengals lose the turn the coin toss, get the ball first, come out heavy run with Joe Mixon, and he hits a palindrome eleven eleven of the first <laughs> quarter. Uh I think I wouldn't be surprised. We haven't seen much of Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard flipping sides this year. Yeah, that'd be interesting. You got to think there's a chance they move Trey Hendrickson up over on the other side where they have had a lot of trouble over there, by the way, um, on pass rushing downs and and say, we'll give you Sam Hubbard and Trent Williams neutralization, but uh, give Hendrickson some work on the much weaker right side to try to get home. Uh, I would suspect you will see some of that rather than trying to trying to go best on best back there necessarily. Um, Is this like again, Little League when the the left-hander comes up and you you switch your left fielder and your right fielder? Because you, <laughs> you put your right fielder out there because he's the worst player and you flip right. him. That, that's so embarrassing. I, I can't imagine if they do flip him. Sam's like, wait a minute. I, I, want, I want my sacks too. Look, uh, look, we – do we – Sam can handle it. He's a big boy. All right. <laughs> we know who the hard pass rusher is here. Okay. This is Trey Hendrickson is your number one. You yep. want to try to set him up with the best chance of success. And Trent Williams is not necessarily the best. I, I, it will be interesting. We'll be tra- We'll have to track that during the game and see how many times they do pull the flip specifically on third downs, third and longs and things mm-hmm. like that was where I think you'll see that most likely. Um, okay. Bengals growler bet. Uh, we've got, We've got that in the house now. Remember, P. Daner at theathletic.com with Growler in the subject header or hashtag Bengals Growler bet on Twitter. Send us your answers to that. You got to be within five seconds, either direction of the snap that happens. Uh, run past or boot. What's our run uh, past or boot this week? Well, I, I was going to go with what will Joe Burrow's right hand look like? White glove, black glove, or bare hand? But we'll, what about we'll tape? Pass, or tape. Well, yeah, bare hand or taped hand. Um, but I, I've got a better one. And before I get to this week's, we, we did not on Tuesday's show address last week's. We both whiffed. It was uh, Mixon yards per carry plus receptions, Herbert yards per attempt, and Bengals third down conversions. We both went with Mixon, and he came in last at 3.8. It was Herbert with 9.1, and the third down conversions were six. You did have Herbert as your run. I had Herbert as my boot, so you get the win on that one. Ooh, I'll take a win in any fashion. It's an embarrassing <laughs> run. All right, this one, uh, very very relevant stats here. First one is 49ers rushing yards. Again, as we mentioned, they're seventh offense. They, they rank seventh in rushing yards. The Bengals are fourth in rushing yards allowed. Next one is Jamar Chase catch percentage. Could easily be 100. Four catches on four targets, but that might not be enough to top 49er rushing yards. And then the third prong is 49ers longest rush plus 49ers longest pass because 
The Bengals have had trouble giving up the explosives. Jay, do you know how many games this year Jamar Chase has had a 100% catch percentage? Mm, he's had zero drops in five or six games, but I still don't think he's had 100% catch. I don't think any of them. He had one game with 100%. It was actually the blowout of the Steelers where he only had three targets and three yeah. receptions for 39 yards. Every other game, it has there has been a missed target, which is not unusual for a receiver. 100% is... It's right. highly unusual, so that's not necessarily that far out of the realm of possibilities, although you have seen him be at 50% or less. He had a run of three in a row of those. Uh, he hasn't been above 62 and a half except for the one game against the Steelers since all the way back to that Baltimore game. So I am going to go with 49ers rushing yards because I always bank on Kyle Shanahan uh, in that regard. I am going to pass on 49ers long rush pass and I'm going to boot chase catch percentage and that's not really this isn't an indictment on chase um I, I just think the 49ers are going to bang out some explosives in this game it's what they do I do think they'll have a long enough pass I do think they'll have a long run and, and I think both of those numbers will be quite high and chase even if he's at 70 percent or whatever 62 um i don't i don't think that will be enough so that's my that's my thoughts yeah when the 49ers came here in 2019 for zach's home opener they put up 259 rushing yards but as i had in today's piece zach said this defense and that defense are night and day um, <laughs> <laughs> Preston that, that, Brown was trying to make snaps, snaps yeah. there. Yeah. Jermaine Pratt did not play a defensive snap in that game. Um, and that, that 259 was the third highest total they gave up all year. That wasn't even the low watermark. So um, I, I do. The Bengals only averaging 92.5 yards allowed per game this year on the ground. I, I, I'm going to run with the explosive element here with 49ers longest rush plus 49ers longest pass. Um I'll pass on the 49ers rushing yards, and and I too will will boot Jamar Chase, um, even if he is at 100. I think that that could still be the third lowest number in, of these these options. All right, there's our submissions. There you can of course you can always submit as well. Hashtag run pass or boot on Twitter. We're always wanting to see your thoughts, or if you have other run pass or boots you want to submit. Uh, for the weekend or for future games, you can always send them to us there. Same email address as before or hashtag run pass or boot on Twitter. Uh, all right. Prediction time, Jay. I've got mine in front of me. What do you have? Uh, I think it's going to be a little higher scoring than maybe some people think. Um, I think I would not bet a nickel on this game. Because <laughs> as the line says, it's it's a one-point Bengals favored by one. I do think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a toss-up. But I just think the Bengals being at home, um, the coming off a loss, it, it kind of a must-win. CJ said it is a must-win. Uh, I'm going Bengals 30, 49ers 28. I hate the must-win. It's not a must-win. <laughs> Nobody must win anything this week. It, it's a mindset must win, not a mathematical must win. Well, it's just overuse of must win. I, I've <laughs> gone on this rant before. Turn in your must win armband. You're done for the year on the must win. You only get one. Can't all be must wins. Uh, all right. Prediction for me. Uh, I, I, 
I, I don't. I wouldn't call it an unhealthy crush that I have on Kyle Shanahan. I just <laughs> I think he is truly one of the geniuses of today's offenses and and in our day right now. I I think he understands things at a, at a high level and he is and he will have a a dangerous game plan uh, for the Bengals to try to stop. And I think that their linebackers are not in a position to be able to stop it. I think the injuries across the back end are concerning. And I think he's going to take advantage of that. And I think they're going to score a bunch of points. And I don't I don't know that the Bengals have enough offensively to offset it. And and I've I have picked them too much, Jay. It's true. I think my, my pendulum is is flipping back and I'm finally breaking the streak. So I'm taking the 49ers uh to beat the Bengals 30 to 24. Um and all hell will break loose on Twitter and everyone will need to be fired, of course, and meltdowns will be predicted. <laughs> but I, I that's that's where I'm at with it. I just I just um I think the Niners are gonna have a little bit a little bit too much going for them offensively and, and give this Bengals defense a lot of problems. Only the third time this year you've picked against the Bengals. I know. The last time I did was Green Bay. Hmm. So we we will and see. And you were right. Yeah, I, I've I've missed <laughs> a lot of wins that I've picked since <laughs> since then as well. So uh, either way, that's where I stand. All right, uh, so that's, that's where we're at with predictions. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap today's show, as promised, uh, with my interview with DJ Reader. Is a story I kind of wanted to do uh, for a while now, and because people might not realize this, uh, he is PFF's highest graded Bengals defensive player. He is second on the team as a whole behind only Joe Burrow. He is the fifth highest graded defensive interior defender via PFF. Now, the top four are all some names you might know uh, who are ha- all have a tons of career sacks and national profiles from sack dances and Pro Bowls. Reader is the gritty, under-the-radar, anonymous take on double teams in the shadows guy. And um, he's kind of made a living that way and, and really changed a lot of what the Bengals defensively can do because of how good he is at stopping the run. You mentioned those numbers of stopping the run earlier. A lot of that is because they can be better overall. They can play coverage. They can play extra DBs. They can, because they're not, they're not worried about, you know, DJ reader, not being the guy plugging the middle and being so stout at that point of attack. I talked to Brandon Thorne uh, for this story, who people might be familiar with his work. Um, he's on with Robert Mays a lot in his show. He's established the run. He's he's a scouting coordinator for the O-line masterminds. He has a lot of work on interior play. And, and he basically said, Kenny Clark, Vita Vea, DJ Reader, true big-bodied nose tackle types he, is how he ranks them in terms of power of stopping the run, but also versatility and getting after the passer as well. And, and Reader doesn't probably get enough respect for that. That's not what this portion of the interview is about, though. If you want more on his football, there that's in the story, a lot of it. Um, this is about DJ Reader, the person, and particularly DJ Reader, the new dad. His son, Rocky, was born November 9th, 2019, and he talks about how that changed everything for him. And you can see that in the way he did play. His first three years, he was, very, he was okay. He was pretty good. 2019 is last year in Houston. He really became an elite player. That's what made the Bengals want to give him. He reset the market for a year, $53 million contract. 
He, of course, got hurt last year, but he's back playing at that level again this year. And, and he points it all back to one thing. And it's interesting how it sort of tied together his whole backstory. Family has really fueled everything for him. Um, and I was just, I found it really interesting kind of learning about him. I start off the interview talking about some work he was doing here in the community. Uh, he went down to Lucius Q, my spot, as some of you might know. DJ Reader obviously has good taste in barbecue, as you have to if you're from North Carolina and lived in Houston. Uh, but he went down there and he did an event with Lucius Q where they gave out 100 turkeys right before Thanksgiving and and uh, something that he specifically wanted to do and was just looking for a partner in the community to do it. So he started for one of his favorite places to go and eat. Um, that's kind of where this interview starts and, and it goes from there. So here is uh, my conversation, a portion, a small portion of my conversation uh, with DJ Reader. Stuff like that. I mean, you seem to, I just kind of just doing some background, looking at stuff. You do a ton of stuff like that. Where does that come from for you? Um, my parents, you know, um, my dad was a teacher when I was a kid. So, you know, just being with him now is homeschool to sixth grade. So honestly, just even on the level of just offering free tutoring and things like that, riding around with him when I was a kid, was it was just a lot, just seeing how much he impacted people's life every single day. He's our rec ball coach. He tutored kids. He was just always kind of that dad. It was just, you know, a kid couldn't get a ride to practice. He was always giving him a ride. So those type of things. Then my mom worked at Amex, uh, American Express. She still works there now. She, um, they did a lot of things with the job, whether it was soup kitchen or events and things like that. And she, you know, she just always brought me along to help. You know, and I was a kid, I never was getting paid. And I just thought that's just what you did. You know, everybody helped out everybody, especially during the holidays and times that, you know, you see people less fortunate or people that might've just fallen on hard times, you know, just to be able to help them out and just constantly doing something like you got time. You always got time. You might not have money and things like that, but you always got a little bit of time that you can give out to somebody else. And I think it got more important to me when I had my son. Um, you know, I used to just do it just to do it. Not, and that, that sounds bad, but I used to just do it, kind of do it. I knew the impact it had, but I just did it. There was really no purpose or intention. I was just doing something. I was making sure I was doing whatever. Um, but, you know, having my son now, it's just you, you pay a little bit more attention to details on things that you're doing and, you know, how it impacts him. I want him to know that, like, you know, you you always can help anybody with anything. And if you have the means to help on certain, a lot of things, you should go out there and do it. Um, so that's that's more so where it comes from. I, I was a kid who's, you know, affected by a lot of those things growing up, being a community kid. My community reached his hands inside of me and like, you know imprinted me i mean to impact me on every single way like i couldn't i was a rec kid a ymca kid a neighborhood <laughs> kid like everybody like I, that that's those are the things that was me i was always around that kid who's just around the batter center nobody knows who the hell he belongs to but he's around <laughs> so that was kind of just me my whole life and I, you know i just it it, it helped me it, it shaped me in a way that like you know made me feel well-rounded as a person yeah is that, your my son, your mom was up for uh for this one. Is, is she was yeah. she up here for the week or is she come up a lot or? Oh, my mom comes up every weekend. She's always here. She's okay. she's she's thirty five years of Amex, and my mom kind of does what she wants now. She's she's been there forever. She's I'm always like, mom, you got a job? She's like, you know, I tell them, you know, I'm working when I want to work. I was like, all right, mom. She's like, you know, just just waiting on the uh, retirement to kick in. So she's just riding it out until retire so yeah. she can roll right over into it. 
That's great. That's great. How cool is that? I mean, having her at, so here all the time and, and have, that has to be fantastic. Oh, it's the best, you know, especially, you know, me after losing my dad, that kind of, you know, that became my rock. Like that was my one parent. I, I, I leaned on her for everything and having the freedom to have her here all the time to help with me, help with my son, help with anything that I got going on. You know, it's a truly a blessing. You know, I, I'm blessed to have that, and especially my mom's always been the breadwinner in our family. My dad, when I was um, younger, the reason I got homeschooled, he got rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and so he wasn't able to do certain things, which is why he became the red coach and the tutor kids and all that stuff and homeschooled me. But I always saw my mom as a hardworking, beautiful woman. And that impacted me so much as a kid. Also, while letting our my dad lead our family, like, you know, not being overbearing or making him feel belittled for being uh, disabled or anything like that. Like she she was everything that a mom is and nurturing, um, caring and loving while also being a breadwinner and one of the hardest working people I've ever known in my life. Like, you know, I've never seen my mom cry. I've never seen certain things that my mom, like she just doesn't fold ever. It's anytime I've gotten in trouble, it's been, yeah, she's been on me, but it's never been, we're dwelling on that. It's a move forward. And I, I, I like to have her here through everything. It's a blessing. You know, it's the fact that she can come up so much and visit me and, you know, see, all the fruits of what she labored means a lot to me. Sounds like uh, she's probably pretty helpful as you were battling through that injury last year, I'm going to guess. Oh, man, yeah, she was right. <laughs> you know, my mom, she, she, she suffered a double compound fracture in college. Okay. And her whole fame, her claim to fame is they, she was in shock so much they didn't put her under. She didn't go to anesthesia. They um they did oh, the no. surgery immediately. Like she was up, she watched it. Oh my god! And she is like, like they gave her something, but she just like she doesn't let me live that down. So when I got hurt, that was the moment. When I got hurt immediately, it was just like she's like, well, you know, I had a double compound. Fracture. I was like, oh my god! All right, mom. Like I'll be back. I get it done. I got you. I hear you. Yeah, I hear you in my head. I don't even want to hear the story. I got you. I got you. We, we back out there. I'm not. I'm not getting on this. I'm not on this. Woe is me. I'm not even gonna say nothing about it. Like that's just it is what it is. Yeah. So you, you're, you're not tough enough. You can't be tough enough. Yeah. Her. You can't be tough enough. Yeah. So I, so she's super helpful. She, yeah. Like super helpful. You can't be tough enough. Oh man. So that's great. That 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 definitely. You know, it, it helped having her there. And honestly, having her and my son there. My son. You know. It, it was interesting. I was telling somebody the other day, he's in the process of learning how to walk. I got to learn how to walk again, essentially. And it was it was funny watching both of us in our in our own individual struggles. I'm looking at him, look at the steps. I'm looking at the steps like, Shit, I don't know, I'm get up there either. <laughs> and so it was uh, it was a great time. It was it was it was fun. It was interesting, but it was it was so much fun just to have them around. Yeah. Um, that's one of the teams I took. One of the things I told Akeem uh, uh, the other day, uh, Akeem Davis Gaither, I said, Man, yeah. spend this time, enjoy your family, those ones that are close to you, because those are the ones you got to lean on during these hard times, because it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's definitely super tough. You know, you want to be out there playing the sports you love, but those are people who love you before that sport. So you, you love going back to Greensboro. 
Uh, yeah. I've, I've noticed that just in looking at everything you've done. Is yeah. that is that still like just hold like a super tight spot for you back there? Uh, I think everybody from Greensboro holds that Greensboro stigma. It's, uh, it's <laughs> What's like, the dream? What's that? It's like New York City in that matter. Like we don't want to be from Charlotte. We don't want to be from Raleigh. We don't want to like we. We're from Greensboro. Like, we love it, and I love that city. I love everything about it, everything that it means to me as a person. You know, that's where my parents' journey started. Uh, So, for me, I feel like that's where my legacy was born, you know, um, and everything that city means to me, and everything it poured into me. Like, like, as a community, as a kid, as a person, uh, man, I'm getting teary. Like, Greensboro just means the world to me. I was able to explore there as a kid. it's not super big, so you don't see too much. You don't see too little, though. And I never I never was a person that was living in too big of a moment. And that's why it was just perfect for me. My like, God, it, it was a place that I could thrive. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. I love everything about it. You know, just the, the neighborhoods, the the stores, just old Tommy, my, my, my mom's whole family went to one high school. I went to that high school, going to middle school, seeing my cousin's names on the walls. Yeah. His yeah. names on the walls and stuff and all those things, like trying to chase after their records. It just, it was a city that really, you know, it was a basketball city. A lot of kids play ball. A lot more kids starting to play football. Um, growing up, but super competitive. Everything in Greensboro is competitive. Everybody's really competitive over sports. Yeah. And so that was it, it made me gritty. It made me, you know, and everybody's got their own. Everybody there's different sides of it. So everybody feels like they're the best on this side. The rec ball super prevalent. So it just made it, made, it was a state, city that made me really gritty and appreciative. And, you know, it showed me the same love back. Everybody there still love me. Um, I love everybody there. And, you know, it it means a lot to me that I can bring a lot back to my city. That's why I always go back, man, because I, I remember being one of those kids that didn't really, honestly, until a guy like Chris Paul, he's from probably 25 minutes from Winston, but a guy like, you know, Keenan Allen, probably first guy close enough to me that I could say, oh, I watched this guy go make a pro, make an impact. Like, and that's not far removed from me. Um, I think that that's what it means to me is I, I watched such a lull for a long time in Greensboro, that's really not having no superstars. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking like sports. I'm talking like we didn't have anybody as kids to look at and say, this is our example that we mm-hmm. that we knew immediately like in our head that we knew immediately that we're younger, young adults that we were like, these are our examples that that give us something, that give us motivation, that give us this and the third. And, you know, that was before the days of social media and stuff. And so now it's like when I have this platform, like I got to go back and show these kids like I was you. You are me. I live because of y'all. Like I, I thrive because of y'all, because of this place, and because of these people around this place that made me the person I am today. Yeah, I had to ask you about something you had mentioned in uh, it was a a Bengals social video or something about how you send a picture to your son before every game. Is yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Well, what do you send him? Like, is this a picture of just you, or of the locker room, or the stadium, or what it's, is it? What do you send him? It's usually me. I usually talk to him uh, early that morning. He has his Bengals gear on. He's on his way to church usually when um mm-hmm. I'm getting up in the mornings and uh getting ready to go to the stadium when I'm getting dressed. So I I talk to him then, and he's on his way to church. And by the time I'm, I know he's in church, by the time I get ready for game day, 
So I, um, I, you know, I paint my face on game day. I don't, so I always send him a picture of the painted face to make sure, okay. he know, you know, the face is painted, everything, we're ready to go, locked and loaded. So, um, you know, I send him a picture, um, just make sure that he, you know, he knows that, you know, I'm, I'm there. And I usually talk to him in the locker room right after the game. So I usually call okay. him win or loss. We have, we had a tough conversation after the Browns game. Yeah, <laughs> that was a really tough one. Uh, immediately yeah. afterwards, I said, "You know, son, sometimes ball don't roll your way in life." And but that that that's it. You know, I try to make sure that he, he he's really you know he he was the turning point in my career in football. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that I was having him, or we we were having him. Um, he kind of just changed my focus. And my drive to play this game of what was I doing it for? Um, and it wasn't money. It wasn't any of that. Like, yeah, that stuff's great. It's going to set me up for a wonderful life. But it was more so the pride of a man. Like, it was going out and this is my job now. And as a man, you go to work in my head. Like, that's, that's how I think of it. Like, no matter what your job is, you go to work and you do it your best. And that's really what he made click in my head. Like, you know, I did my best all the time. I tried hard. I was a fighter. But when I had him, it was like, there's no excuses for anything that you got going. I don't care what you're saying, DJ, you grind. Because if he ever see you let your foot off the gas, what does he think of what a man is supposed to be? when he's called upon, like, does he, he's supposed to go work. Like that's just when he's called upon to do something, he does it. like whatever he does, it. he gets it done. He finds a way to get it done. That was, you know, he changed my whole outlook on like what I wanted my career to be. Um, especially, you know, I wanted it to mean something. Then I didn't want to just be known as like a player who played in this league. When I found out I was having, like, I wanted my career to really mean something to me, to him, to, and he'll probably think I'm trash. Like I, he wasn't Aaron Donald. Like I probably hear that, you know, when he gets older. But yeah. you know, I I want I, I want him to know, like you know, I, I like I changed it. Like I changed it changed a lot. He changed a lot for me in that in that perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's. Did you feel like? Did you notice yourself playing better? Like, did oh you, yeah, I held yeah. myself to a way or high higher standard. I, okay. I wasn't satisfied with just what was going on. I, I That was when it really, I started taking my career into my hands. Like I didn't, I wasn't going to be put in this box of this is all you can do, or this is who you are as a player. Like, this is it. Um, I would go back and read that draft report over and over and oh, over. No, and don't do that. Over and over, <laughs> and over again, over and over and over again. Like it, and it was the first time I realized, like, I was like, you know what? Like, I can really make money in this league and be a good player. Like I, like I said, I can take it in my own hands. This is going to be what I make it. I was already starting making plays. Like, I knew I was a decent player. But I was like, dang, damn. Like, you know, this this career is going to be really what I make it into. And, you know, he helped me realize that because that just – wasn't thinking that way, maybe just being a childish or just not thinking that way as a kid, but having that responsibility made me think, damn, like this, because life, life doesn't just, for me, it doesn't just happen. I feel like there are a list of things that go into things that happen, or there's tools you have 
that from things that have happened in your toolbox to help you deal with life. And if I didn't start really attacking what was going on in my life, like attacking it, I would never build those tools up to be able to navigate helping him with life. So that was like really my thing. Like I got to put a grip on certain, a lot of things I got going on and take control of my life and not just live, like live with a purpose. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with DJ reader. You know, we, we occasionally try to drop in uh, with stuff like that. I know it gets very football-y here sometimes, and we it's an analytical, and we're talking about this. We're in this middle of this playoff rush, and and I just think specifically with positions like this, we don't talk. You know, it's funny. The last time DJ Readers did a an interview with the media in front of the mic cart. Um, was the day of my back surgery. I didn't even realize he had <laughs> talked that day, Jay. I was just going back, searching my searching my old emails, looking through old interviews to see if there was any, just parsing through stuff for nuggets when I was doing background. I was like, oh, DJ Reader talked this day. Why did he talk? I didn't even realize that. It was because I was like literally in anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> and it was coming off the bye, and he was talking about how much fun he had at Rocky's birthday party. And, you know, just more, there was a lot of a human element to to that interview as well. Yeah, and uh, just uh, you know, I love people like that. You know, I, I just think he's he's rooted in all the right stuff. And I talked to Marion Hobby as well, Bengals defensive line coach for this story. And Marion Hobby was at Duke when DJ Reader was a ninth grader for the uh, the Whirlies at Brinkley High School. They 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 their claim to fame by the way, the only Whirlies uh, in the United States is their nickname tornado like a tornado whirly um they got a little he dj point out they have a little guy in a suit as their mascot little little <laughs> tornado guys in a suit which i like um but you know he's like i remember he's a, he said i remember dj reader coming in at as a ninth grader and the, the scouting guy who was scouting greensboro saying this guy is gonna be a star he's like and he walked in and he was short <laughs> and big and it was like that guy he said and all of a sudden next thing i know uh, I'm at Clemson. Who shows up? But they've got this two-sport athlete who's who's turned into this major star. And he said, it was sure enough, it was DJ Reader. I had to call that coach and say, all right, you got me on that one. You were right. <laughs> he did turn into a dude. And then Marion Hobby coached him at Clemson and then comes back to Cincinnati this past year, reconnects with DJ Reader again. Uh, and you know, he said when he was thinking about coming here, that was Hobby called Reader because he knows if you if you want the truth – all you got to do is ask DJ. He will mm-hmm. tell you the truth. And and, uh, and he did. And he said, we didn't really talk about football. We talked about the building. We talked about the people he'd be working with. He talked about the culture and things like that that he was a believer in. And it says a big reason why Marion Hobby came here and took the job as defensive line coach, which certainly has paid off big for the Bengals as the defensive line has really taken off under him this year. Um, all this stuff, part of the background and really, you know, he said, but it, it really goes back to the same thing. Like this guy was just raised right and he's raised the right way. And his mom, Felicia, being up at all these events and coming to town all the time and is is just such a big part of who he is. And, you know, the legacy of of his dad who who passed away and, and how that affected him. It's just um, you root for people like this. You, you 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 root for the best for them. And he may never get the Pro Bowls. He may never get the attention. He may never get enough opportunities to do his grave digger dance, right? <laughs> um, but when you watch, 
He's pushing the double team into the quarterback's face while the other guys get all the glory. And uh, I, like he said, I love that. I enjoy it. I'm built for that. And uh, that's why I root for DJ Reader. So I hope people enjoyed that insight into him. I know I certainly did. Again, the story is up on the site. Just go to The Athletic or follow me on Twitter, and you can uh, go read the full story about DJ Reader, his son, his family, and how he's arrived at this moment where he's graded as the best Bengals defensive player by PFF. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back on Sunday with the walkout. And, of course, a reminder, Monday we're going to have – uh, our live room discussion at noon on Monday. You can come in, listen to our conversation, ask a question to us, and we'll see how many we can get to and how long that goes for. So come on in if you're a subscriber to our live room on Monday at noon. But first, we'll have the walkout after the game on Sunday. Hope everybody enjoys the weekend. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one, everybody.